Good morning, Riverwood. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I encourage you, I implore you, to open it up to the book of James. Um, If uh, I didn't say good morning to you, good morning. If I haven't ever met you before, I am Ed Pavlik. I'm an elder here at Riverwood, and today I have the immense pleasure of handling God's Word as we start a new year and we go into 21 days of prayer. Uh, This year's 21 days is going to be about surrender. Uh, Surrender, surrender, surrender. It's a big topic, Um, a very big topic. Uh, And honestly, when I was asked to preach uh, today, uh, to kick off the 21 days of surrender, I did not remember why we started doing this. And so I went to Pastor Aaron, and I'm like, do you remember why we started doing this? And if you don't remember... Um, We've been doing this since 2018. Uh, Converge had reached out to Aaron in the the fall of 2017 and said, we're going to do something for the new year. Um, We'd like you to participate. And that was the 2018 January kicks it off. So a whole year goes by, and Aaron thought this is going to be like a one-off kind of thing. And he says, and I don't remember this, and he says, well, we had an elder meeting in the fall of 2018. We talked about doing it again, and Aaron was not inclined to do this again. But two of the elders spoke up, who will remain anonymous, and they said, we didn't exactly participate. Perhaps we should try this again. And we've done it every year ever since. It's become uh, a part of what this family does. Families have uh, rhythms. They have traditions, and this is one of ours. And I pray that you participate uh, in this one this year. Um, I know that I'm going to double my efforts and surrender in that way to try and do it consistently, do it with other people, perhaps, um, and part of growth groups or meeting with people individually. Um, I encourage you to do it. The deeper meaning uh, in the 21 days of surrender is that this rhythm is a wise thing to do. It's proper to set aside time uh, for God's word, to be, on to be on purpose about it, and to do it corporately in this way as a group. It gives us something in common to discuss, something to struggle with alongside one another. And isn't that the whole point? that we can discuss difficult things, our, our trials, our troubles. You have someone you can bring these things to. And if this is one brick in that wall, that platform, one part of it, then thank God uh, that it's done. And I pray that each of you do it. But why 21 days? That's a little weird too. Um, 21 days isn't a, a prescription, and it's not a random number of things either. So seven days, we got this, the sets of seven all throughout Scripture. Um, God and his completion and rested work at the end of the seven day, six days of creation and seventh day of rest. Um, Prayer and fasting sometimes comes in three days, sometimes 40, but that's Lent. Why don't we do that? And so looking back to scripture to see if there's a model at all, not a prescription, but a model at all to follow, you have one in the book of Daniel. If you ever read this, I was just tickled to uh, look back and find it. Daniel 10, two and three. You can go there if you want. It's not going to be up there. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks. Good for Daniel. It's good for us. And it's something we can look back to. Scripture is going to inform and enrich most of the practices that we engage in as a church today. I encourage you to look back for those bits of encouragement as well. That deeper meaning. Uh, With the new year coming tomorrow... I'm sure some of you may have made or have heard that people will be doing um, commitments. What are the common ones? 
Can anybody say? Just shout one out. What's a common way to commit yourself to the news? Lose weight. That's a big one. Exercise. Ex- yep. Exercise. Be fitter. Yeah. What else? More pictures? Oh, drug addictions. I thought you said work something. I'm sorry. Yeah. People um, stripping themselves of addictions. People propping themselves up in different ways. People looking to improve their aesthetic, change their mood, be nicer, be whatever. All these systems in place, and the world's going to tell you, yeah, go get them. Make a resolution. And I'm not condemning any individual person in here, but I'm going to say that those things, by and large, are half-hearted. And if they stuck, we wouldn't need this cycle every year to rely on. You wouldn't need them. So why does it happen over and over again? Because it doesn't stick. There's no surrender in the new year for the system that the person leans into of the world's design. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, and this is my position, that you should flee from that system. Not from making commitments, but from relying on your own devices, yourself, to do these things. The world will applaud you, and your best friend's going to stick with you for a while, or someone adjacent, or some social media post, and you're going to be encouraged to continue on and do this, and perhaps through white-knuckling, you can get it done. But without surrender to God, the person who holds your molecules together, think about that, it cannot be done, because your strength will fade. It will It will, it will. So surrender. Two things I want to point out about surrender today. Uh, The first is, I'm going to talk about how to surrender generally. And the second is going to be to how to surrender your will. And I'm doing my best with this. So surrender is a pretty big topic. If you go out and you Google surrender, you do a study on surrender, you're going to find all kinds of things about surrender, like 20 most powerful verses that are going to tell you how to surrender. Uh, but none of them really tell you how to surrender. They give you that you should do it. Um, you're going to look at blog posts, um, articles, videos. Um, Billy Graham's got a big sermon out there on surrender, if you want to go listen to it. John Piper's got stuff on surrender. Uh, who else was I listening to? Paul Washer has awesome sermons about surrender. And so I'm excited to study about surrender. We're going to do 21 days of surrender. And so I'm a, I'm a good boy, and I get out my, my, I got the free logo software, and I encourage you to do this. If you want to be super great, get the paid version of the logo software, your blue letter Bible or the net Bible, and you go to the New Testament, and you're like, I'm going to learn about surrender today. And you type in surrender, and you hit enter, and guess what pops up? How many words, how many times does that word occur in the New Testament? I'll give you a hint. Zero. Zero times. How can that be? And so different translations are going to render different forms of the Greek. It's Strong's H3318. are going to render that use of the Greek in different ways. But if you want to go like word for word, the term itself does not occur in the New Testament. How can that be? When there is an ocean, you can drown in the idea of surrender out there on the internet if you want to go study it. How can that be? Well, it's a concept. So that was my first problem in prep for today. I don't like when things are concepts. Um, this is a personal preference. But I'm, this is me, if you're ever talking to me. I don't like thought-for-thought translations of the Bible. If, you, if you're a translation junkie or something, um, if you're going to go over here, that'd be things like the message Bible, way, way over here. I don't like thought-for-thought translations. That's a preference, not a prescription. Preference, not a prescription. I don't like it then. And problem number two. So one, the word wasn't there. Two, I don't like concepts in the Bible. I like when it's black and white. 
It's more comforting to me. I don't like being told I can, <laughs> it's like, read this and, and understand this greater truth that God's going to give you. Well, yes, of course. God does give you truth and understanding. He imparts wisdom, and he alone can do that because I was standing on my own two feet before. My strength will fail. My understanding will fail. And so I like when it's in black and white because it's easier for me. Maybe you uh, sympathize with me a little bit on that. But in my struggling and preparation for today, on those two issues that I had because I couldn't get over them, I get stuck on things and mull over them in my head. God saved me. Saved me out of my confusion. And he did it with context in the concept of surrender. So my dear friend, Sam Schaefer, you know Sam Schaefer, we've been in a growth group for years, and whenever I think I want to cite a verse at him, Sam kind of cuts me off, and he's like, no, you need to read around the verse. You're not giving everyone understanding and context. No, he's so right, and he saves me for myself all the time. And so our main text today is James 4, 6 through 10, but I want you to look just ahead of that. It's going to be up here on the back at James 4, 1 through 5. So you can put that up for me. Okay. And please read along. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, remember this part, friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is what I really want you to sit with. Remember that last part, but here, this is what's stuck for me. Do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. Have you ever read that? I hadn't. Then God corrected my thinking in this. And this is how he did it. So there is a, I have a, this is a New King James MacArthur study Bible. If you want to see exactly what I'm reading or look it up later. And then correct me if I'm making an error as well. Um, my note on five says this. Scripture says, as you saw in five, or do you think in vain that, or do you think that Scripture says in vain? So Scripture says, a New Testament way of introducing an Old Testament quote. So this happens in John 19, Romans 4, 9, 10, and 11, Galatians 4, 1 Timothy 5. It says, Scripture says. And here's where God corrected my thinking. The quote that follows, however, is not found as such in the Old Testament. It is a composite of general Old Testament teaching. The spirit yearns jealously is not found in the Old Testament. So it bugged me that surrender wasn't there. I couldn't find it in my searching. And here God is correcting my thinking and making an appeal to what was conventionally understood. The audience at the time would have heard these words and nodded up and down. Yes, yes, it says that. How wrong was I? Thinking I knew. Concepts occur in Scripture. And the people at that time would have heard these writings nodding up and down. Yes, we get it. Because they knew through their instruction, through their contemplation of the Scripture, 
the coming and going of their day, that the word of God, as it was given to them at that time, because they weren't, didn't have the rest of this, proclaimed a truth about what Scripture says. This is the inherent word of God, right? Do you believe that? I do. This is the truth. It says what Scripture says. Because it does. Even if it doesn't say it in the way that I want it to say, because it's comforting to me when the term is defined and it's static right there. I like it. Saved from my misunderstanding. These issues were solved for me through God's grace. And I am thankful for that. And if you struggle with those things, I encourage you to pray for God's help and understanding as well. Because there are a great many truths that might not expressly be said. This is one of them. But an analogy. So we have firm ground that we stand on when it comes to understanding that the concept of surrender is in Scripture. So much so that people have waxed poetic about it for a long time. I like analogies. I think they're helpful. And one here um, that I also get from my, my study notes is the soldier analogy, the military analogy. So all throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, New Testament, you can see that people use these uh, structured analogies of what armies were doing, what generals were doing, what soldiers were doing. They did it in terms of obedience, what it is to command, be understood, to take directions. It's there. It's a good thought problem. So remember, in this soldier analogy, what we just read in James 4.4, 4, you are at enmity with God. Your spirit yearns jealously. And that phrase points at your own black heart, is what Isaiah says. You yearn wrongly. Wrongly. Only through God's grace do you want properly. We'll talk about that later. So if I'm at enmity with God, I'm at odds with him. He, I am his enemy. I'm in conflict with his will. The comparison goes deeper and deeper. The farther you want to tease it out, you can do that on your own if you like. So, beings that today's topic is surrender, and we have this thought problem about armies, military, the soldier. Maybe I like it because I've been in the guard for 17 years, or I just like order or something, but it really just hits home for me. When do people surrender? When do armies surrender? When do individuals or groups during a fight, you've seen surrender, um, people that watch, I don't know, MMA, when do they submit? When are they done? It's a conclusion, logically drawn. Because you can watch someone win a fight, you can watch a battle be won in total defeat for the other party. The victor, still the victor, without submission, without surrender. That can happen. But when does a general say enough is enough? And this is, I wrote down this, and, and I hope it sticks for you. It is a logical, experienced, deduced position based on the reality of what is occurring around them or the realization of what will inevitably occur. So what do we say in James 4.4? 4? You are at enmity with God, his enemy. And it's just a matter of time. Whether you refuse to submit, you refuse to surrender, or it dawns on you, mercifully, I pray that it does, that you will lose to him every single time. And so people nod their heads like, yes, yes. God is in control, sovereign in control. But do you live like that? 
Do you live in a way that acknowledges that you're going to lose? Some of you don't. I don't always. I love my own understanding too much. I'm prideful in what I do. Arrogant and boast, I get reminded. I got a big head and I need to get rid of it. And I bet you guys shuffle with that same stuff. Living in a way that stands on your own understanding. My own way, my own will, what I want to be done. Me. Even in the face of physical danger. Like, I don't know if I like, I'm, I'm alone in this. I think a lot of men maybe like, you fantasize about being able to save people. Anybody do that? Like, I'll daydream and be like, what would I do to save everybody in this room? Like, do you do that? I do it. <laughs> Who's the victor there? It's me. I prop myself, even in my own thought problem, in my own head. Like, I'm going to save everybody. Like, I can't even save myself. So you understand who God is and who you are in realizing that you will lose. You can't win to him. You have deduced, and I pray that you see this, that it's logical, it's experienced, it's rational to surrender to an almighty God who eternally rules the universe past eternity, future eternity, in here in the present, the only place we can really understand. That he rules every second, every fiber of this carpet, every cell in my head. All of it is his. Now for our main text, if I haven't belabored that point enough. So James 4, 6 through 10. And you'll see that put up here if you don't have. But please follow along with me. So on the heels of James 4, 5, or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. And here's six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I used the word already a couple of times. But in 4.7, Alpha, it says, Therefore submit to God. The word submit, literally, and this is why I like the military analogy, means to line up under. The word was used of soldiers under the authority of their commanders. In the New Testament, it describes Jesus' submission to his parents' authority in Luke 2, submission to human government in Romans 13, the church's submission to Christ in Ephesians 5, the servants' submission to their masters in Titus 2, and the first Peter 2. James used this word to describe a willing, conscious submission to God's authority as sovereign ruler of the universe. A truly humble person will give his allegiance to God, obey his commands, and follow his leadership. There are a lot of modern views on personal surrender that come from the world and all of its wonderful vain philosophies that say that you can cooperate in some power structure and struggle alongside people and do so properly. 
without harming yourself, and it's some wonderful, equal, equitable outcome. In terms of who God is and who you are, that's a lie. Run away from it. Your need for surrender is a position you come to understand. Understanding the need for it, understanding what surrender is, understanding who God is, accepting of your limitations, giving over to God of your what? Your everything. So how can I know all this? How can I live my life and say Jesus is Lord and mean it and mean it? Read Romans 12, 1 for me. If you want to flip there real quick, it's also going to be up on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. Not just your heart. I give my heart to Jesus. Of course you do. Of course you do. Not just my head. I don't assent to God as of some position. My entirety, my being, my core, every part of me, down to my fingernails and my toes, I offer it up as a living sacrifice to God. Picture in your head some priest approaching an altar, the Old Testament, this model that we have of him walking up, taking these offerings. That thing in his hands might as well be a person itself. Think of yourself that way. And in that offering of a living sacrifice, which is yourself to God, he's going to start to pull at you. Pick at your heart, at your mind. Pull at the edges of your comfort in what you do and how you serve his children, his people, his kingdom. We don't offer a dead sacrifice, but one that takes action in the world for his sake. It will in that offering, stretch your capacity, make you uncomfortable. It will strain your confidence. and You'll think, God, I can't do these things you're asking me to do because what was it? What was that submission? To line up under, to obey, subject yourself to his will. The whole thing we're going to study for the next couple of weeks. This will fall outside of you. It will, it will, it will. But it's not beyond you because it was nothing to do with you. It's how God works in you and through you for his kingdom's sake, his will to be done. His will to be done. And so my last part. This upcoming week, tomorrow, grab a booklet, and you're going to go through and read the various submissions from Riverwood family members on what it means to submit to God's will in various capacities. The first thing that I thought of was the Lord's Prayer. I was raised as a Lutheran. The liturgy is stuck in my head. I still hear creeds when I sit. My mom's right there, and she's wonderful, and she took me to church all the time. And I never thought I paid attention, but those creeds, they're in there. That liturgy is stuck in my head, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. But the Lord's Prayer is what my conscience sat on. 
The Lord's Prayer is broken up into petitions. If you ever read uh, the large catechism, the small catechism is made for families to teach, the Martin Luther's large catechism is expansion out of the different positions of the Lord's Prayer. The third petition, petition is um, your will be done. So we're going to read this together. Now, in this treatment of the Lord's Prayer, and I say treatment because it is extra biblical, another thing gets added in. There's an ending phrase. Now, whether you think the Lord's Prayer is a precise recitation of what you ought to say, or you think that it is, um, some scholars more modernly understanding, that it's a prescription for a model of how you ought to pray. Either way, it's wonderful to pray. The last part that we're going to read, if you don't typically say that it's in tradition, is an add-on by the liturgy way back in the day. Um, the clergy members at the time added this on. It's from, I don't remember. I don't want to misquote it. I think it's from, Chronicles. So correct me if you do. I'll look it up maybe later. We can talk about it. Um, but the last part's an add-on, and it's going to be on there today. So please read with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In Martin Luther's large catechism, he writes, In consideration of the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. There will be strange events if we are to abide in God's will. We shall have to suffer many thrusts and blows on that account from everything that seeks to oppose and prevent the fulfillment of the first two positions. Hallowed be thy name. God is holy. And his kingdom come. What we desire. This asks something from us. Your will be done. How do you surrender then? My will. Prayer. Prayer. Pray to God every day that you ought to properly bear your cross for his sake, dying to yourself for Christ and what he does. This is a grievous thing. It's terrible to consider because it means the death of yourself. Remember the offering of a living sacrifice part? That's you, that's your body. What happens to sacrifices? They die. Please, Proclaim in prayer. Seek to understand the love that Christ, Christ has for you. Pray to God that he purge whatever misunderstanding comes out of you in your prayers. That as you seek to offer yourself up every day, to bear your, Christ, your cross for Christ's sake. Understand your inherent deceitfulness, disobedience, destructiveness. Pray that God removes it from you. Because all these things come with a warning. There is hope in its execution, truly, and do not forget that. I really mean that. But because I love you, and if you misunderstand that phrase, as I'm told some people do, um, please don't and examine your own hearts when I say that I love you. I implore you to follow the will of your Father. He commands you to submit, obey, to surrender. Damnation is the sentence for those who live in rebellion to his will. There is no middle ground. There is no fence riding. 
tell everyone you meet. Your eternity rides on acceptance of God's will. And speaking to those who think they are in right standing, if that's you in here today, and there's something roiling in you, some doubt, some misunderstanding, the best theologians on earth, the best theologians ever, the apostles themselves, doubted their position. But don't let that doubt drive you into despair. Let it drive you into study and contemplation, prayer, and asking God, begging him, please, to root out whatever is going on in your heart that separates you from him. Because this is the gospel. That your Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died in your place on the cross, and through his own power, rose himself from the dead. He went as a sacrifice because he is God in the flesh, raised himself so that he could bring you to newness of life, to be born again, a new creation, functioning and living for his sake and his kingdom, his honor and his glory. If this bothers you, if it causes you to think or doubt, you can talk to me today. Pick a person to live this thing out alongside. If you struggle with that submission of your will, talk to someone about it. Ask me, ask a friend. You don't have to turn there, but please listen to this. Luke 14, 25 through 27 says this. Now large crowds were accompanying Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me, it does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I implore you, loved ones, Surrender to God. Do it now. If you know someone who hasn't, implore them to do so. Your eternity rests on this. Please, in the name of God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. We're going to do communion now together. Um, during the song, as you are moved, please stand up and go to the tables, take the elements. The bread is that living sacrifice, Christ's broken body given for you. The juice is that symbol of the new covenant in his blood shed for you. We do both of these things together in remembrance of him. And when you feel so, please go to the table. Let's do this together now.